Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Greetings, good gentle people. This is The Amazing World of Radio. From the fair city of Boise, I am your host, Adam Graham. You may send me your email dispatches at box13 at greatdetectives.net and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And you may sojourn with us on Twitter at radiodetectives. Well, what's all the flowery language, you may ask? Well, that's because uh, on today's episode, we are going to get some Shakespeare. Of course, you might be a little bit confused saying, but this is Humphrey Bogart. Well, it's going to be Humphrey Bogart in Shakespeare. In the summer of 1937, CBS brought the Shakespeare cycle to radio for eight weeks. The series took Shakespeare's plays and reduced them down to a single hour. From a typical runtime, about two and a half to three hours. Today's episode is a particular challenge because they take two Shakespeare plays and condense them into one single hour play. The play we're going to hear is Henry IV, which was originally Henry IV Part One and Henry IV Part Two and is actually the third in a series of plays that began with Richard II and conclude with Henry V. In Richard II, Henry Bolingbroke organized a revolution against Richard II that put him on the throne as King Henry IV. However, things don't run smoothly for Henry IV, particularly in the latter part of his reign. The play coined the now famous phrase, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, and it's definitely a key theme of what we're about to hear. So now, featuring Humphrey Bogart as Hotspur from August the 23rd, 1937, here is Henry IV. <laughs> Hollywood, California, the Columbia Network presents William Shakespeare's historical drama, Henry IV. Monday night, and another imposing list of actors from stage and screen join Columbia to bring you the seventh in a cycle of eight Shakespearean plays. Tonight's production, Henry IV has been uniquely treated in that the special full-hour adaptation for radio combines both part one and part two of this great historical play, thus making an even more memorable radio occasion for millions of listeners. In tonight's performance of Henry IV, you will hear Walter Houston featured in the title role, Brian Ahern as the Prince of Wales, Walter Connolly as Sir John Falstaff, Humphrey Bogart as Hotspur, son of the Earl of Northumberland, and Dame May Whitty as Mrs. Quickly, the hostess. The brilliant supporting cast is headed by Ben Webster as Westmoreland, Ian McLaren as Worcester, Patrick J. Kelly as Sir Walter Blunt, Eric Snowden as Northumberland, and Jack Smart as Poyne. 
Conway Turrell, distinguished actor of stage and screen, will come forward in just a moment as narrator to set the stage for the first scene. Meantime, Victor Bay, Columbia's talented young conductor, raises his baton to lead the orchestra in the musical introduction to Henry IV. and made himself King Henry IV of England. To his subjects generally, he was an excellent and wise king. To the powerful nobles who had assisted him to the crown, he was a target for jealousy and suspicion. The king's son, Henry, Prince of Wales, had inherited his father's energy, but having no crowns to conquer, his high spirits found outlet in prankish misbehavior. He spurned the ceremony of court life, preferring to haunt the taverns of London with his cheap crony, fat, dissolute old Sir John Falstaff. Arm in arm, these two roamed the streets and highways, picking quarrels, hobnobbing with bartenders, insulting the nobility. Eventually, they joined up for the band of robbers. In this play, we have the story of young Harold's reformation, his reconciliation with his kingly father, and his coronation as Henry V. <laughs> the play opens, we find Henry V, fourth, listening wearily to the Earl of Westmoreland, reciting news of bloodshed and battle. The powerful Percy family who helped him with the throne originally are on the warpath again, fighting in Scotland, fighting in Wales, and all the king wants is peace. Peace and a dutiful son. Ten thousand bold Scots, two and twenty knights fought in their own blood did Sir Walter see on homeland plains. Of prisoners, Hotspur took Mordake, the Earl of Fife, the eldest son of Beaton Douglas, the Earl of Athol, of Murray, Angus, and Monteith. And is not this an honorable spoil, a gallant prize? Ah, uh, cousin, is it not? In faith, it is a conquest for a prince to boast of. Yea, there thou makest me sad and makest me sin in envy that my lord Northumberland should be the father of so blessed a son, whilst I, by looking on the praise of him, see riot and dishonor stain the brow of my young Harry. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle clothes our children where they lay. Then would I have his Harry and he mine. But let him from my thoughts. What think you cause of this young Hotspur's pride? The prisoners which he in this adventure has surprised to his own use he keeps mm -hmm. and sends me word I shall have none but Mordek, Earl of Fife. This is his uncle's teaching. This is Worcester, malevolent to you in all aspects, which makes him prune himself and bristle up the crest of youth against your dignity. But I have sent for him to answer this. Cousin, on Wednesday next, our council we will hold at Windsor. So inform the Lord. I will, Milly. <laughs> Percy family are summoned to Windsor. Thomas, the wily Earl of Worcester, Henry, the old Earl of Northumberland, and the latter's young son, Harry Percy, the fiery Hotspur, who has refused to surrender his Scotch prisoners. 
king speaks. My blood has been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities, and you have found me. But accordingly, you tread upon my patience. But be sure I will from henceforth rather be myself mighty and to be feared. Our house, my sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it. And that same greatness, too, which our own hands have helped to make so portly. Who's to get thee gone? For I do see danger and disobedience in thine eye. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you. The Lord. Dumbledore, you are about to speak. Yea, my good Lord. These prisoners in your highness' name demanded, which Hotspur here at Holmden took, were, as he says, not with such strength denied as is delivered to your majesty. Either envy, therefore, or Miss Prisham is guilty of this fault, and not my son. My liege, I did deny no prisoners, but I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, his chin new reaped. With many a holiday and lady terms, he questioned me. Amongst the rest, demanded my prisoners in your majesty's behalf. I then, all smarting with my wounds being cold, answered, neglectingly, I know not what he should, or he should not. But it made me mad to see him shine so brisk, and smell so sweet, and talk so like a waiting gentlewoman of guns and drums and wounds. God save the mark, I answered indirectly, as I said. And I beseech you, let not his report come current for an accusation betwixt my love. And your high majesty. Why, yet you do deny your prisoners. But with proviso and exception that we at our own charge shall ransom your brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer. Shall our coffers then be empty to redeem a traitor home? No. On the barren mountains let him starve. But I shall never hold that man my friend whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost to ransom home revolted Mortimer. Revolted Mortimer? He never did fall off my sovereign liege, but for the chance of war. Thou is belie him, Hosper. Thou is belie him. Thou not ashamed? Sinner, henceforth, let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such kind from me as will displease you. Lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you'll hear of it. Your Majesty, Your Majesty, Your Majesty, Your Majesty. And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. I will after straight and tell him so. What? Drunk with collar? Stay and pause a while. Here comes your uncle Worcester. Who struck this heat up after I was gone? He will, forsooth, have all my prisoners. When I urge the ransom once again of my wife's brother, and his cheek looked pale, and on my face he turned an eye of death. I cannot blame him. Was not Mortimer proclaimed by Richard that dead is the next of blood? He was. I heard the proclamation. Ah, but soft, I pray you. Did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edmund Mortimer heir to the crown? He did. Myself did hear it. Nay, then I cannot blame his cousin King that wished him on the barren mountain starved. Or shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or fill up chronicles in time to come, that men of your nobility and power that gauge them both in an unjust behalf, as both of you, God pardon it, have done, to put down Richard, that sweet, lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker, Bolingbroke? Good cousin, give me audience for a while. Those same noble Scots that are your prisoners? I'll keep them all. By God, he shall not have a scot of them. 
I'll keep them by this hand. Yeah, well, kinsman, I'll talk to you and you're better tempered to attend. Well, I've done me, Faith. Then once more to your Scottish prisoners. Deliver them up without their ransom straight and make the Douglas son your only mean for powers in Scotland. You, my lord Northumberland, your son in Scotland being thus employed, shall secretly into the bosom creep of that same noble prelate, well-beloved, the Archbishop of York, is not true, who bears hard his brother's death at Bristol, the Lord Scroope. I smell it upon my life. It will do well. Before the game's afoot, now still let's slip. I cannot choose but be a noble plot. And then the power of Scotland and of York to join with Mortimer, eh? And so they shall. And his no little reason bids us speed to save our heads by raising of a head. The king will always think him in our debt. If he hath found a time to pay us home, you see already how he doth begin to make us strangers to his looks of love. Aye, he does, he does. We'll be revenged on him. <laughs> family plot to overthrow Henry IV. And while the king's fate hangs in the balance, the Prince of Wales sits idly at his favorite tavern, talking idly with his favorite companion, that John Falstaff. Now, Hal, what time of day is it, lad? What the devil has thou to do with the time of the day? Unless ours were cups of sack and clocks the tongues of boards... <laughs> I see no reason why thou shouldst be so superfluous to demand the time of day. Indeed, you come near me now, Hal. <laughs> ah, well, we that take purses go by the moon. Yea, governed as the sea is by the moon. Now in as low ebb as the foot of the ladder, and by and by in as high a flow as the ridge of the gallows. Oh, thou hast the most unsavory similes. <laughs> Sweet wag, when thou art king, do not hang a thief. No, thou shalt. Shall I? Oh, rare. By the Lord, I'll be a brave judge. Ah, thou judgest false already. I mean thou shalt have the hanging of the thieves, and so become a rare hangman. Oh, thy quips and thy quiddities. Oh, thou hast a damnable iteration. Thou art able to corrupt a saint. Thou hast done much harm upon me, Hal. Why, thou stuffed cloak bag of gut. God forgive thee for it, Hal. But I must give over this life. And I will give it over. By the Lord, and I do not, I am a villain. I'll be damned for never a king's son in Christmas. Thou swollen parcel of dropsies, where shall we take a purse tomorrow? Sounds where thou wilt. Ah, thou old bearded Satan. <laughs> I see a good amendment of life in thee. From praying to purse-taking. Why, Hal, tis my vocation. Hal, tis no sin for a man to labor in his vocation. <laughs> ah, good morrow, sweet Hal. Good morrow, point. <laughs> what says Sir John Sack and Sugar? I'm as melancholy as a jib cat. My lads, tomorrow morning early at East Cheap, there are traders riding to London with fat purses. If you will go, I will stuff your purses. If you will not, carry it home and be hanged. Hell, wilt thou make one? Oh, I, Rob? I, a thief? Not I, by my faith. Thou comest not at the blood royal if thou darest not. I'll carry it home. By the Lord, I'll be a traitor then when thou art king. I care not. Oh... If men were to be saved by merit, what hole in hell? Sir John, Sir John, I pray thee, leave the prince and me alone. I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he shall go. 
Well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion. Farewell. You shall find me in Eastcheap. Now, me good sweet honey lord, ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Bardolph, Peter, and Catsill shall rob these men. And when they have... easily persuades the Prince of Wales to share in a practical joke on Falstaff and the other thieves. While the latter are robbing the caravan of merchants, the Prince and Poins will slip away, return in new disguises, and rob the thieves of their booty. The next night, Poins and the Prince join the outlaws on the highway. Poins has hidden Falstaff's horse, as Sir John is tumbling about in the targ. Poins! Poins and be hanged! Peace, you fat kidnid rascal. What a brawling dost thou keep? How? Aye. Sweet prince, where's Poins? He has walked up to the top of the hill. Oh, I am accursed to rob in that thief's company. The rascal hath removed my horse and tied him I know not where. Poins! A plague upon you? Hard off! Edo! I'll starve there, I'll rob a foot further. Hal, eight yards of ungreeven ground is threescore and ten miles afoot with me. And the stony-hearted villains know it very well. Plague upon it when thieves cannot be true to one another. A plague upon you all! Give me my horse, you rogues! Give me my horse and be hanged. Peace, you fat guts. Lie down. Lay thine ear close to the ground, and list if thou canst hear the tread of travelers. Have you any levers to lift me up again, being down? I prithee, good Prince Hal, help me to my horse, good king's son. Out, you rogue. Shall I be your hustler? Thou go hang thyself in thine own air apparent garters. If I be tain, I'll teach for this. And I have not ballads made on you all and sung to filthy tunes that a cup of sack be my poison. My lord, my lord. Give me my horse. Peace. Desbardo, what news? On with your horses. There's money of the king's coming down the hill. Tis going to the king's exchequer. You lie, you rogue. Tis going to the king's tavern. Bardo. Aye. Beto. Aye. Getzel. Aye. Falstaff. Aye. Sirs, you four shall front them in the narrow lane. Poins and I will walk lower. If they escape from your encounters, then they light on us. How many be there of them? Some eight or ten. Ooh, Will they not rob us? What? A coward, Sir John Paunch? Indeed, I am not John of Gaunt, your grandfather, but yet no coward, Hal. Well, we'll leave that to the proof. Farewell, and stand fast. Come, neighbor. Boys shall lead us horses down the hill. We'll walk for a while and ease our legs. Stand, stand, down with it. Cut the villain's throat. Oh, we are undone. Ye gore-bellied knaves, are ye undone? Ah, down with them. Oh, God of mercy. Start off, find them. Oh, bless us, bless us. Oh, caterpillars, bacon-fed knaves. That's you. Please, them. Please him. Aye. Oh, oh. You fat chuffs. I would you had your store on oh, here. Bless us, bless us. What, ye knaves? Young men must live. Now, 
On, Bacon. On. Point. Point. The thieves have found the true men. Now, could thou and I rob the thieves and go merrily to London? It would be argument for a week, laughter for a month, and a good jest forever. <laughs> Where are our disguises? Hard by. Stand close. I hear them coming. Only <laughs> master. Let us share, and then to horse before day. Aye, aye. And the prince and points be not too arrant cowards. There's no equity stirring. Aye. There's no more valor in that points than in a wild duck. No. <laughs> Here. Here. Come on in. Got with much ease. <laughs> now, merrily the horse. The thieves are all scattered and possessed with fear. <laughs> Falstaff sweats to death and lards the lean earth as he walks along. <laughs> Were it not for laughing, I should pity him. <laughs> Away, good boy. <laughs> How the rogue roared. <laughs> Prince of Wales and Poins now return to the tavern. Shortly after their arrival, Paul Stuck and his companions burst into the room. Old Sir John is puffing and blowing with rage. Welcome, Jack. Welcome. Where hast thou been? A plague of all cowards, I think. Give me a cup of sack. How now, wool sack? A king's son. If I do not beat thee out of thy kingdom with a dagger of laugh, and drive all thy subjects before thee like a flock of wild geese. I'll never wear hair on my face more. You, Prince of Wales. Why, you plague of a round man, what's the matter? Are you not a coward? Answer me that. And points there. Zounds, you fat paunch, and you call me coward, but the Lord I'll stab thee. I call thee coward. I'll see thee damned if I call thee coward. But I'd give a thousand pounds I could run as fast as thou canst. Give me a cup of sack. I'm a rogue if I drunk today. Oh, villain. Thy lips are scarce white since thou drunkest last. All's one for that. Plague of all cowards. Still, say I. Why, what's the matter? What's the matter? There be four of us here have taken a thousand pounds this day morning. Where is it, Jack? Where is it? Where is it? Taken from us it is. A hundred upon poor four of us. What? A hundred men? I am a rogue if I were not at half-swords with a dozen of them. Two hours together. Oh, oh I've escaped by miracle. I'm eight times thrust through the doublet, four through the hose, my buckler cut through and through, my sword hacked like a handsaw. I never dealt better since I was a man. All would not do. A plague of all cowards. <laughs> Let them speak. If they speak more or less than truth, they are villains and the sons of darkness. Speak, sirs. How was it? We four set upon some dozen. Sixteen at least. And bound them. No, no, they were not bound. You rogue, they were bound. Every man of them. As we were sharing, some six or seven fresh men set upon us. And unbound the rest. And then came in the other. What? Fought you with them all? All. I know not what you call all. But if I fought not with 50 of them, I'm a bunch of ready. <laughs> Pray God you've not murdered some of them. Nay, that's past praying for. 
I've peppered two of them. Two I'm sure I've paid. Two rogues in Buckram's suit. <laughs> <laughs> I tell thee what, Hal. If I tell thee a lie, spit in me face. Call me horse. Four rogues in Buckram let drive at well, Four, thou saidst, but two. Four, Hal, I told thee four. Aye, <laughs> I, I, he said four. These four came all afront and mainly thrust at me. I need no more, more ado about that, but took all their seven points in my target. The seven? Why, there were but four even now. In Buckram? I have four in Buckram suits. Seven? Why, these hills. Or I'm a villain else. <laughs> oh, prithee, let him alone. We shall have more anon. <laughs> Dost thou hear me, Hal? Aye, and mark thee too, Jack. I'll do so, for it's worth the listening to. These nine men in Buckram that I told thee of... <laughs> two more already! ...began to give me ground, but I followed so close. Came in, foot in hand, and with the thought seven of the eleven... I paid. Oh, monstrous! <laughs> eleven Buckram men grown out of two. But as the devil would have it... Three misbegotten knaves in Kendall Green came at my back and let drive at me. For it was so dark, Hal, thou couldst not see thy hand. Why, how couldst thou know these men in Kendall Green when eh? it was so dark thou couldst not see thy hand? <laughs> I'll no longer be guilty of this sin. This sanguine coward, this bed-presser, this horseback-breaker, this huge hill of... Oh, <laughs> you starveling, you eel-skin, you dried neat tongue, you stumpfish. Oh, oh, for breath to wonder what is like thee. Well, breathe a while and then to it again. And when thou hast tired thyself in base comparison, hear me speak but this. Mark, Jack. We two saw you four set on to and bound them, and were masters of their wealth. Mark now how a plain tale shall put you down. Then did we two set on you four, and with a word out faced you from your prize and have it. Wow. Yea, and can show it you here in the house. And false stuff, you carried your guts away as nimbly and with as quick dexterity and roared for mercy and still ran and roared as ever I heard bull calf. <laughs> Why, what a slave art thou to heck thy sword as thou hast done and then say it was in fight. <laughs> what trick canst thou now find out to hide thee from this open and apparent shame? Come, let's hear, Jack. What trick hast thou now? Oh, 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 by the Lord. I knew ye as well as he that made. Oh! <laughs> Why, hear ye, me masters. Was it for me to kill the heir apparent? Should I turn upon the true prince? No, no, no. <laughs> but by the Lord, lads, I'm glad you have the money. Hostess, clap to the doors. Watch tonight, pray tomorrow. Gallants, lads, boys, hearts of gold. All the titles of good fellowship come to you. Oh, my lord, the prince. Oh, no, my lady, the hostess. My lord, there is a nobleman of the court of door would speak with you. He says he comes from your father. Well, give him as much as will make him a royal man and send him back again to my father. Hal, shall I give him his answer? Oh, pretty do, Jack. Faith, and I'll send him packing. Hey, Peto, tell me now in earnest, how came Falstaff's sword so hacked? Why, he hacked it with his dagger and said he would make you believe it was done in fight and persuaded us to do the like. Oh. <laughs> Here comes Jack. Here comes Barebone. Oh, now, my sweet creature of Bombus, there's villainous news abroad. Here was Sir John Bracy come from your father. 
you must to the court in the morning. That same mad fellow of the north, Hotspur, and that sprightly Scot of Scots, Douglas, and Worcester is stolen away tonight. Thy father's beard is turned white with the news. Tell me, Hal, art not thou horribly afeard? Thou being heir apparent, could the world pick thee out three such enemies? Art thou not horribly afeard? Not a whit. I lack some of thy instinct. Oh, my lord, my lord, the sheriff of the most monstrous watches at the door. They're come to search the house. Dost thou hear, Hal? If you will deny the sheriff, so. If not, let him enter. <laughs> Go, hide thee behind the arras, Jack. Call in the sheriff. Sheriff? My lord. Now, Master Sheriff, what is your will with me? First, pardon me, my lord. A you and Cry have followed certain men unto this house. What men? One of them is well known, my gracious lord. A gross fat man, as fat as butter. Oh, the man, I do assure you, is not here. My lord, there are two gentlemen having this robbery lost. Three hundred marks. It may be so. If he have robbed these men, he shall be answerable. And so let me entreat you, leave the house. I will. Good night, my noble lord. <laughs> I think it is good morrow, is it not? Indeed, my lord. I think it be two o'clock. This oily rascal Falstaff is known as well as Paul's. <laughs> Go, call him forth. Falstaff! Fast <laughs> asleep behind the arras and snoring like a horse. <laughs> oh, hark, how hard he fetches breath. Search his pockets. I... What hast thou found? Mm, nothing but papers, my lord. But let's see what they be. Read them. Uh, item, a capon, two shilling and tuppence. Item, sauce, fourpence. Item, sack, two gallons, five shillings, maple. <laughs> item, anchovies and sack after supper, two shilling and sixpence. <laughs> item, bread, a half penny. Oh, oh, monstrous. But one half penny worth of bread to all this intolerable deal of sack. <laughs> uh, what there is else, keep close. We'll read it at more advantage. There, let him sleep till day. I'll to the court in the morning, and the money shall be paid back again with advantage. We must all to the wars. Good morrow, Pines. Good morrow, good my lord. <laughs> the first part of Columbia's presentation of Henry IV, starring Walter Houston, Brian Ahern, Walter Connolly, Humphrey Bogart, and Dame May Whitty. The play will continue in just a moment. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now, we continue with the second part of Shakespeare's Henry IV, and again your narrator, Conway Turrell, comes forward to set the scene. With the rebels in arms against the royal power, Henry IV summons the Prince of Wales to appear at court. Now he enters the throne room where the king sits conferring with his generals. The animated discussion halts in midair. The nobles look askance at young Hal. His father eyes him gravely for a moment in the heavy silence which has fallen over the room. Lords, give us leave. 
The Prince of Wales and I must have some private conference. But be near at hand, for we shall presently have need of you. I know not whether God will have it so for some displeasing service I have done that in his secret doom out of my blood he'll breed revengement and a scourge for me. But thou dost deny passages of life make me believe thou art only marked for the hot vengeance and the rod of heaven to punish my mistreading. So please, Your Majesty, I would I could quit all offenses with as clear excuse, as well as I am doubtless, I can purge myself of many I am charged with all. God pardon thee. Yet let me wonder, Harry, at thy affections, which do hold a wing quite from the flight of all thy ancestors. Thy place in council has been rudely lost. The hopes and expectations of thy time is ruined, and the soul of every man prophetically doth forthink thy fall. For thou hast lost thy princely privilege with vile participation. Not an eye, but as a weary of thy common sight, save mine. I shall hereafter, my thrice gracious lord, be more myself. For all the world as thou art to this hour was richer then when I from France set foot at Ravenspur. Mean as I was then, this hot spur now. Now by my scepter and my soul to boot, he hath more worthy interest of the state than thou, the shadow of succession. Thrice hath this hot spur, Mars in swaffling clothes, this infant warrior in his enterprises discomfited great Douglas, gained him once, enlarged him and made a friend of him to fill the mouth of deep defiance up and shake the peace and safety of our throne. What say you to this? Hotspur, Northumberland, the Archbishop's Grace of York, Douglas, Mortimer, capitulate against us and are up. But wherefore do I tell these news to thee? Why, Harry, do I tell thee of my foes, which are my nearest and dearest enemy? Now that it like enough through facile fear, base intonation and the start of spleen, to fight against me under Hotspur's pay, to dog his heels and curtsy at his grounds. To show how much thou art degenerate. Oh, do not think so. You shall not find it so. And God forgive them that have so much swayed your majesty's good thoughts away from me. I will redeem all this on Hotspur's head. And in the closing of some glorious day, be bold to tell you that I am your son. And that shall be the day, whene'er it lights, that this same child of honor and renown, this gallant Hotspur, and this all-praised knight, and your unthought-of Harry, chance to meet. For every honor sitting on his helm, would they were multitudes, and on my head my shames redouble. For the time will come when I shall make this northern youth exchange his glorious deeds for my indignities. This, in the name of God, I promise here, and I will die a hundred thousand deaths ere break the smallest parcel of this vow. A hundred thousand rebels die in this Thou shalt have charge and sovereign trust herein. Your Majesty! How now, Sir Walter Blunt? Thy looks are full of speed. So is the business that I come to speak of. Lord Mortimer of Scotland hath sent word that Douglas and the English rebels met the 11th of this month at Shrewsbury. Huh? On Wednesday next, Harry, you shall set forward. On Thursday we ourselves will march. Our hands are full of business. Let's away. Advantage feeds him fat while men delay. Meanwhile, in the tavern, Falstaff is awakened from his drunken stupor. 
He's railing at the hostess. How now, dame hostess? Have you inquired yet who picked my pocket? Aye, I warrant you. Why, the tithe of a hair was never lost in my house before. You lie, hostess. I'll be sworn my pocket was picked. Why, Sir John, do you think I keep thieves in my house? Go to, go to. You are a woman. Go. A woman? I? God's light. I was never called so in my own house before. Go to. I know you well enough. No, Sir John. You do not know me, Sir John. I know you, Sir John. You owe me money, Sir John. Now, you pick a quarrel to beguile me of it. I'll pay not a denny. I've lost a seal ring of my grandfather's worth 40 marks. Oh, I've heard the prince tell him I know not how often. But that ring was copper. Now, the prince is a jack, a sneak up. Blood, and he were here, I'd cuddle him like a dog, if he would say so. The prince comes. The prince. Wayne comes marching down the street. Head of detachment of troops. My lord, my lord, my lord, I pray you hear me. What sayest thou, Mistress Wicklet? Prithee, let her alone and listen to me. What sayest thou, Jack? The other night I fell asleep here behind the arras and had my pocket picked. This house is turned bawdy house. They pick pockets. Uh, what didst thou lose, Jack? Wilt thou believe me, Hal? Three or four bonds of forty pounds apiece and a seal ring of my grandfather's. Oh, a trifle, some eightpenny matter. So I told him, my lord, and I said I heard your grace say so. And my lord, he speaks most vilely of you like a foul-mouthed man as he is, and said he would cudgel you. What? He did not. There's neither faith, truth, nor womanhood in me else. There's no more faith in thee than in a stewed prune. Tilly, Sally. Nay, my lord, he called you Jack and said he would cudgel you. Yea, if he said my ring was copper. Well, I say it is copper. Dost thou be as good as thy word now? Nay, and I do, I pray God, my girdle break. Charge an honest woman with picking thy pocket? Why, thou impudent, embossed rascal, if there were anything in thy pocket but taverning reckonings, memorandums of bawdy houses, oh. and one poor pennyworth of sugar candy to make thee long-winded, well, if thy pocket were enriched with any other injuries but these, I am a villain. Why, art thou not ashamed? You confess, then. You picked my pocket. Well, it appears so, but story. Hostess, I forgive thee. Oh? Go. Make ready breakfast. Look to thy servant. Well. Cherish thy guest. You. Love thy husband. Well, of all Nay, nay, oh. nay. Prithee, prithee, be gone. Villain, scurvy, nay, bastard. Now, hell to the news at court for the robbery lad. How is that answered? Oh, my sweet beef. I must still be good angel today. The money is paid back again. I do not like that paying back. I am good friends with my father and may do anything. Rob me the exchequer the first thing thou doest. <laughs> I have procured thee, Jack, a charge of foot in this war. I would it had been of horse. Bardolph! The horse, the horse, for thou and I have thirty miles to ride at dinner time. Aye, sir. Jack, Aye, meet sir. me tomorrow in the temple hall at two o'clock in the afternoon. There thou shalt know thy charge. The land is burning, huts first, hands on high, and either we or they must lower lie. England is in arms. 
every part of the, of the kingdom. Soldiers marched to join the civil war. Troops drawn up in battle array by Hotspur are put at disadvantage by the sudden illness of Northumberland. Vendal is two weeks late recruiting his troops. Hotspur, the equally fiery Douglas, are determined to go on ahead without them. Worcester and Vernon urge delay. Throughout the night, they wrangle, pacing the dimly lighted tent. We'll fight with them tonight. It may not be. You give him an advantage. Not a whit. Why say you so? Looks he not for supply? So do we. His is certain, ours is doubtful. Good, cousin, be advised. Stir not tonight. Do not, my lord. Vernon, you do not counsel well. You speak it out of fear and cold heart. Do me no slander, Douglas. By my life, I hold as little counsel with weak fear as you, my lord. Or any Scot that this day lives. Let it be seen tomorrow in the battle which of us fears. Yea, or tonight. Content. Tonight, say I. Come, come, it may not be. I wonder much. Being men of such great leading as you are, that you foresee not what impediments drag back our expedition. Your Uncle Worcester's horse came but today, and now their pride and mettle is asleep. Their courage with hard labor, tame and dull. So are the horses of the enemy. The better part of ours are full of rest. The number of the king exceedeth ours. For God's sake, cousin, stay till all come in. <laughs> Sir Walter Blunt. Welcome, Sir Walter Blunt. And would to God you were of our determination. The king had sent to know the nature of your griefs, and whereupon you conjure from the breast of civil peace such bold hostility, teaching his duteous land audacious cruelty. If that the king have any way your good deserts forgot, which he confesses to be manifold, he bids you name your griefs. And with all speed, you shall have your desires with interest and pardon absolute for yourself and these herein misled by your suggestion. The king is kind. And well we know the king knows at what time to promise when to pay. My father and my uncle and myself did give him that same royalty he wears. But I come not to hear this. Then to the point. He deposed the king. Soon after that, deprived him of his life. And in the neck of that task, the whole state disgraced me in my happy victories, and in conclusion drove us to seek out this head of safety, and with all to pry into his title, the which we find too indirect for long continuance. Shall I return this answer to the king? Not so, Sir Walter. We'll withdraw a while. Go to the king, and let there be impawned some surety for a safe return again, and in the morning early shall my uncle bring him our purposes. And so, farewell. I would you would accept of grace and love. And maybe so we shall. Pray God you do. The royal encampment, the king and the Prince of Wales watch the dawn break over the field of battle. They await a messenger from the rebel camp. How bloodily the sun begins to peer above yon busky hill. The bay looks pale at his distemperature. And the southern wind doth play the trumpet to his purpose. And by his hollow whistling in the leaves, foretells a tempest and a blustering day. Then with the losers let it sympathize, for nothing can seem foul to those that win. My lord of Worcester. Your majesty. And I'm a lord of Worcester. 
It is not well that you and I should meet upon such terms as now we meet. You have deceived our trust and made us doff our easy robes of peace to crush our old limbs in ungentle steel. This is not well, my lord. This is not well. Hear me, my liege. For my own part, I could be well content to entertain the lag end of my life with quiet hours. For I do protest, I have not sought the day of this dislike. You have not sought it? How comes it, then? It pleased your majesty to turn your looks of favor from myself and all our house. And yet I must remember you, my lord, we were the first and dearest of your friends. For you, my staff of office, did I break in Richard's time and posted day and night to meet you on the way and kiss your hand. It was myself, my brother, and his son that brought you home and boldly did out dare the dangers of the time. These things indeed have you have articulate proclaimed at market crosses, read in churches, to face the garment of rebellion of pell-mell havoc and confusion. In both your armies there is many a soul shall pay full dearly for this encounter if once they join in trial. My lord of Worcester, tell your nephew, I, the Prince of Wales, do join with all the world in praise of him. I do not think a braver gentleman, more daring or more bold, is now alive to grace this latter age with noble deeds. For my part, I may speak it to my shame, I have a truant been to chivalry, and so I hear he doth account me too. Yet this before my father's majesty. I am content that he shall take the odds of his great name and estimation, and will, to save the blood on either side... Try fortune with him in a single fight. And, Prince of Wales, so dare we venture thee, albeit considerations infinite do make against it. No good was to know. We love our people well. Even those we love that are misled upon your cousin's part. Will they take the offer of our grace? Both he and they and you. Yea, every man shall be my friend again. And I'll be his. So tell your cousin and bring me word what he will do. But if he will not yield, rebuke and dread correction wait on us. They shall do that office, so be gone. Please. Will not now be troubled with reply. We offer fair. Take it advisedly. The wily Earl of Worcester fears that Hotspur will be influenced by the king's fair offer and determines not to repeat the message. Uncle, what news? The king will bid you battle presently. There is no seeming mercy in the king. Did you beg any? God forbid. I told him gently of our grievances. He calls us rebels, traitors. He will scourge with haughty arms this hateful name in us. The Prince of Wales stepped forth before the king, and nephew challenged you to single fight. Oh, would the quarrel lay upon our heads, and that no man might draw a short breath today, but I and Harry Monmouth, Prince of Wales. Yet once ere night I will embrace him with a soldier's arm, that he shall shrink under my courtesy. Arm, arm with speed, and fellow soldiers, friends, better consider what you have to do than I that have not well the gift of tongue can lift your blood up with persuasion. The Lord, prepare. The king comes on apace. Let each man do his best. And here draw I a sword whose temper I intend to stain with the best blood that I can meet with all in the adventure of this perilous day. Now, Esperance, proceed and set on. Count all the lofty instruments of war, and by that music that is all embraced, for heaven to earth, come of us never shall for a second time to suffer
that were raised fiercely. On both sides, brave men are killed and maimed and lost to England forever. But as the day wanes, when only the strongest and luckiest still stand, the two great protagonists of the drama meet at last, both bleeding, both weary, and both determined. I mistake not, thou art Harry Monmouth. Thou speakst as if I would deny my name. My name is Harry Percy. Why, then I see a very valiant rebel of the name. I am the Prince of Wales, and think not Hotspur to share with me in glory anymore. Two stars keep not their motion in one sphere, nor can one England brook a double reign of Harry Percy and the Prince of Wales. Nor shall it, Harry, for the hour has come to end the one of us, and would to God thy name and arms were now as great as mine. I'll make it greater ere I part from thee, and all the budding honors on thy crest, I'll crop to make a garland for my head. Oh, I can no longer brook thy vanity. Trust thee, then! <laughs> <laughs> and blood 
derives itself to me. No, where it sits, which God shall guard and put the world's whole strength into one giant arm, it shall not force this lineal honor from me. This from thee will I to mine leave, as tis left to me. The prince has gone with the crown. Now the king awakens from his coma, finds himself alone, cries out. Westminster! Clarence! Does the king call? What would your majesty? How fair so great. Why? Why did you leave me here alone, my lords? Where is the crown? Who took it from my pillow? When we withdrew, my liege, we left it here. Prince hath taken it hence. Go seek him out. Is he so hasty that he doth suppose my sleep, my death? Wherefore did he take away the crown? Lo, where he comes. Come hither to me, Harry. Depart the chamber. Leave us here alone. I never thought to hear you speak again. Thy wish was father, Harry, to that thought. Thy life did manifest thou lovest me not. And thou wilt have me die short of it. Then get thee gone and dig my grave thyself. And bid the merry bells ring to thine ear that thou art crowned. Not that I am dead. For now time is come to mock at form. Harry the fifth is crowned. Affinity. Down royal state. All you sage counselors hence. The English court assemble now from every region. Apes of idleness. Now, neighbor confines, purge you of your scum. Have you a ruffian that will swear, drink, dance, revel the night, rob, murder, commit the oldest sins, the newest kind of ways? Be happy. He will trouble you no more. England shall double gild his treble duty. England shall give him office, honor, might, for the fifth Harry from curb license plucks the muzzle of restraint, and the wild dog shall flesh his tooth on every innocent. Oh, my poor kingdom, sick with civil blows. Oh, there will be a wilderness again, peopled with wolves, thy old inhabitants. Oh, pardon me, my liege. But for my tears, the moist impediments unto my speech, I had forestalled this dear and deep rebuke. Ere you with grief had spoke, or I had heard the cause of it so far. There is your crown. And he that wears the crown immortally, long guard it yours. God witness with me when I here came in and found no cause of breath within your majesty. How oh, cold it struck my heart. If I do feign, oh, let me in my present wildest die and never live to show the incredulous world the noble change that I have purposed in. Coming to look on you, thinking you dead, and dead almost, my liege, to think you were, 
I spake unto this crown as having sense. Accusing it, I put it on my head to try with it, as with an enemy that had before my face murdered my father, the quarrel of a true inheritor. But if it did infect my blood with joy, or swell my thoughts to any strain of pride, if any rebel or vain spirit of mine did with the least affection of a welcome give entertainment to the might of it, let God forever keep it from my head and make me as the poorest vessel is that doth with awe and terror kneel to it. Oh, my son. Come hither, Harry, and sit thou by my bed. And here I think the very latest counsel that ever I shall breathe. God knows, my son, by what bypass and indirect crook ways I met this crown. And I myself know well how troublesome it sat upon my head. To thee it shall descend with better quiet, better opinion, better confirmation. For all the soil of the achievement goes with me into the earth. Seemed in me but as an honor snatched with boisterous hand. And I had many living to upbraid my gain of it by their assistances, which daily grew to quarrel and to bloodshed, wounding supposed peace. Now my death changes the mood. For what in me was purchased falls upon thee in a more fairer sort. How came I by the crown? Oh, God forgive and grant it may with thee in true peace live. My gracious liege. Old man, 
fall to thy prayers. How ill white hairs become a fool and jester. I have long dreamt of such a kind of man, so surfeit swelled, so old and so profane. But being awake, I do despise my dream. For God doth know, so shall the world perceive, that I have turned away my former self. So will I those that kept me company. When thou dost hear I am as I have been, approach me, and thou shalt be as thou wast, the tutor and the feeder of my riots. Till then I banish thee on pain of death, as I have done the rest of my misleaders, not to come near our person by ten miles. For competence of life, I will allow you that lack of means enforce you not to evil. And as we hear you do reform yourselves, we will, according to your strengths and qualities, give you advancement. Be it your charge, your justice, to see performed the tenure of our word. Set on! of Shakespeare's Henry IV. Downstage, acknowledging the enthusiastic applause, are Walter Houston, who played the king, Brian Ahern, who was Prince of Wales, Walter Connolly, who portrayed the rotund Sir John Falstaff, Humphrey Bogart, who was the turbulent Hotspur, and Dame May Whitty, who was Mrs. Quickly, the hostess. Ben Webster played Westmoreland, Ian McLaren was Worcester, Patrick J. Kelly was Sir Walter Blunt, Eric Snowden was Northumberland, and Jack Smart was Point. In tonight's performance, you heard Brian Ahern, who just completed the picture, a great Garrick, for Mervyn Leroy. Walter Connolly, who appeared through the courtesy of Columbia Pictures, Humphrey Bogart, courtesy of Warner Brothers Pictures Incorporated, and Dame May Whitty, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Conway Farrell was the narrator, and the musical score was arranged and conducted by Victor Bay. The play was adapted for radio and produced by Brewster Morgan. Welcome back. Given the condensing of the play, it's actually pretty effective. And the production works by boiling down a lot of the plot points to a couple key threads with uh, Henry IV. And that is the political intrigue that he faces, as well as his concern about his son and what is going to happen to England after he's gone. And I think they make these both really effective uh, stories. And they tend to stand out more. I took Shakespeare in college, and we did listen to these uh, play in class. But I think this really captures the emotional core of the story, even though I think there's a lot of good stuff in the play that does make listening to a f or watching a full version worthwhile. For an hour, this is pretty good. Humphrey Bogart, of course, being the big focus of our series, turns in a 
very good performance. When I told my wife about it, she was wondering if it would be like, here's looking at you, Falstaff. What, of course, we got was a very professional, uh, good performance as Hotspur. He didn't try and affect some strange accent, though it did feel like it was slightly different than in films. Bogart, of course, was a stage actor, appeared on Broadway, did a lot of things before he hit Hollywood stardom. And playing in Shakespeare is one of them. And I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, we're going to get into something that is going to be typical expected Bogart next week. As we get into the roles that made Humphrey Bogart a superstar and all-time legend of entertainment. And we're going to hit the first one of those roles next week. So be sure and listen then. If you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.